This morning, I want you to turn to the book of Romans, actually Romans chapter 10. And uh, man, if you're, if you're newer to our church within the last, I would say, eight to nine, ten months, let, let's just say post-COVID, if, you, if you've come to CFBC post-COVID, uh, what a, what a cr- crazy world it's been the last several months. Uh, it's been nuts. It's been crazy. Um, uh, last night, I, w- I was just thinking through um, what we've experienced almost the last year. Uh, I've, I've had the privilege of traveling a good bit internationally, all over the world, different mission trips and stuff, not because I'm special, but just God's opened some doors for me. And, and mission trips are really cool. When you go to another country, if you've ever traveled internationally, a good journey uh, is always full of surprises. And, and, and there are times where there are unforeseen circumstances and it causes you to maybe get off course or redirect. I can't tell you how many times that I've traveled uh, via plane, and this even happens in the U.S., right? You, you travel, and you have a, a clear destination and a clear route that you're scheduled to take, and then you get on the first leg of that flight, and, and all of a sudden when you land, there's something that's changed, right? There's been a delay. There's been a mechanical problem on the plane. Uh, there's been a snow problem where, where planes are, are now delayed. I mean, there's inclement weather. Uh, at the end of the day, when that's happened to me, even though my course got redirected, I always got to where I was going. It took sometimes a lot longer, and it sometimes took a route that I didn't necessarily prefer uh, or added stops on my trip that didn't necessarily make it efficient. Uh, but at the end of the day, I got to where I was going, and at the end of the day, I got back. And so uh, the reason I say all that is because in April of 2019, we began an in-depth study of the book of Romans, April of 2019, and, and we, we went through almost a year of teaching up until March of 2020, and we got through Romans chapter 9, and then COVID, right, and, and the world changed, and, and we had to change, we had to adapt, we had to, we had to man, everything just kind of came unglued for a few weeks. Uh, and then we got our bearings, and, and we were able to, you know, have church in person again. We started live streaming. We started doing all these things, but then we were like, how do we navigate this crazy, man? And, and I prayed, and I felt like God would have us kind of shift gears, and we went through the book of Colossians as a church. And the reason we went through the book of Colossians because it is really the book for last day's Christianity. Like, like, like it is the book that if you'll master... Uh, the practical application of the book of Colossians, as we live in these last days, will, you'll probably do okay at the judgment seat of Christ when you give an account for your life uh, as a believer in Christ. And, and so we, we spent several months in the book of Colossians, but now, uh, as, as God has allowed us to kind of reroute, we want to get back on target for our destination. And, and I want to get back in the book of Romans because I believe that God has some, some tremendous truths, and, and plus, I just don't like even leaving anything unfinished. I want, to, I want to finish what we started. And so uh, this morning is going to be a little bit different in the sense that we're, we're going to get everybody caught back up to speed on the book of Romans. And, and we're going to, if you're new here, if you're new here since COVID or since we've been in Romans the last several months, the cool thing is, uh, if you're new, we're going to get you caught up to speed. And if you're, if you're uh, you know, member here and you've been here for years and years, well, guess what? You slept since April of 2019. Well, well, some of you have, maybe, maybe me and Colin hadn't, you know, uh, but, but we need to be reminded of kind of why we even started that book and, and the things that God has for us in that. And, and it's been said that repetition is the price of learning. 
And, and so this morning, we want to review some of the things, and, and this morning won't be just complete review. We'll have some practical application at the end. Let me also remind you that we archive all of our sermons on our podcast. We have a podcast because uh, we're so big like that. We're like, I think we have like three subscribers, me and my wife and I, maybe Josh. I don't know. <laughs> Whoever I paid to, look, I'll buy your lunch if you subscribe to the podcast. So the point is that there's a ton of messages in the book of Romans up to Romans chapter 9 that are already available on podcast and on our website. And so if you want to spend about 30 plus hours catching up on that, uh, I would encourage you to do that. But, but this morning, uh, we're going to do a very uh, general overview and then land us right back in Romans chapter 10 where we left off. You guys cool with that? All right. If you're not cool with that, then I'll pray for you right now. All right. Let's actually pray and, and just ask the Lord to meet with us. Father, we need you, uh, Lord, again. Thank you for the time of worship, Lord. It, it, it's always refreshing for us, even though it's directed to you. Lord, our hearts are encouraged because of the words that, that we can sing and the truth in those words that, that, that Lord, you, you are so good, you are so gracious, you're wonderful, you love us in spite of our sin. Lord, you sent Christ uh, to, to pay the ultimate price and the sacrifice for our sin, uh, knowing that we were sinners, Christ died for us, and we're thankful for that. And Lord, as we, as we prayerfully come to your word, uh, may you open our hearts and ears to what you have for us today. God, every one of us, Lord, you have something for us today uh, in this message. And so, Lord, help our, our heart and our ears be open to it. Encourage us. We love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, so if you got notes this morning, again, just we'll hit the, the, the technical part really quick. Number one in your notes, I want to remind you uh, from the book of Romans that there's three historical keys that we looked at a long time ago, and if you weren't here for that, uh, I'm going to remind you, and you'll have to just take, take my word for it that this is what we covered. The first key is this, Romans, the book of Romans is the sixth book in chronological order of the Pauline epistles. In other words, we, we know from history, we, we know the order in which he, he wrote his epistles. You can use the book of Acts uh, to kind of navigate that, that, uh, that process. First and Second Thessalonians were the first two books. Romans is actually the sixth book of the Pauline epistles, and we know it was written at least before Acts chapter 25 because Paul had a desire to get to Rome. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 21, it says this, And these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see... Rome, okay? And, 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 and as you study Paul's life, especially through the latter part of the book of Acts, we know that Paul had a burden for his, 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 his brethren, the Jews. He wanted to get back to Jerusalem to preach the gospel to them again. Uh, there were some people that warned him not to go, but he went anyways. Uh, and that's always a good argument or conversation. Was Paul supposed to go back to Jerusalem? Was he not supposed to go? Well, anyways, he went back. Acts chapter 23 and verse 11 when he gets to Jerusalem, uh, they didn't receive him. He got arrested. Uh, Acts 23 and verse 11, it says, The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou also bear witness at where? At Rome. And, and so listen, as much as, as Paul had a burden for the nation of Israel, he also wanted to get to Rome because key men and key cities are the way God gets the gospel to the world. And so, and so again... He's planning a trip to Rome uh, that preceded this epistle that he, 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 God gave him 
to the believers at Rome. And then secondly, I want you to know, historically speaking, that it's the first of the church epistles in your Bible. So even though it's the sixth epistle that Paul penned, or, or actually Paul didn't pen, Paul was inspired of the Holy Spirit of God, it comes first in your Bible in the New Testament as, as, as the church epistle for church age doctrine. And, and again, even the order of your books, God had a hand in the order and, and the layout of the books of the Bible that, that you hold in your hand. In the New Testament, we have the Gospels, which are the historical account of the ministry of Christ. But remember that even the Gospels are, even though they're in your New Testament, they're still under an Old Testament economy until the death of Christ. Because, because the book of Hebrews tells us that a testament is in effect or, or in effect until the death of a testator. And so even the gospel accounts that cover the earthly ministry of Christ, it's still Old Testament economy. Christ said that he was born under the law. He was made under the law. And so the law, the Old Testament law, was still in effect in Christ's ministry. It wasn't until his death, burial, and resurrection that that dispensation changed. Then you have the book of Acts in your New Testament. And then you have the book of Romans. And I mentioned this on Wednesday night to our ministry tools and training class. Listen, if you have the four Gospels and then you, you immediately have the book of Romans, there's no way to jump from those four Gospels to the book of Romans without the book of Acts. The book of Acts for us is the transitional book that transitions from the Old Testament economy to the New Testament economy. From, from, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, it seals, he seals the believer. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Paul is a lost Pharisee. At the, at the end of the book of Acts, he is the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. At the beginning of the book of Acts, God is still dealing with Israel. At the end of the book of Acts, God is using the church and, and so there's a major transitional movement through the book of Acts that gets us to the book of Romans. You guys okay this morning? If we don't understand even the order in which we have our Bible, we, we don't understand how to put our Bible together. And so then we come to the book of Romans, and the book of Romans for us is the beginning of the church doctrine epistles, and it is the first epistle in your New Testament. It wasn't the first historically speaking but it sets the foundation for church doctrine. It sets the, the, the foundation for the doctrine of salvation. Many of us, when we got saved, somebody opened the Bible to the book of Romans and walked us through Romans what? Romans Road. How many of you experienced that? When somebody led you to Christ, they, they walked you through Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 10. They shared the gospel with you out of the book of Romans. Why? Because it is, it is the foundational book for church doctrine. It's the foundational book for salvation. Romans contains over 70 quotes from the Old Testament. It, it quotes 14 books from the Old Testament. And, and so this, this New Testament doctrinal book of Romans is, is critically important for us as believers in Christ. And then thirdly, historically, it, it was aimed at Gentiles in the Roman Empire in the sense, and, and, and we'll make sense of why it says this in just a second, but, but it's aimed at Gentiles in the Roman Empire, and we are the new Romans, quite honestly. If you look at our culture, if you look at the United States of America, if you look at kind of the world power that we are, well, there's a lot of similarity between us and Rome, historically speaking. 
and, and, and because we are the new Romans, we need the book of Romans. And, and quite honestly, again, many of you know the book of Romans has some powerful stuff in it so much that in some places, even in this country, it's illegal to preach from. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 2. There, there are people that would, would consider that in, in northern states where some friends of ours live. <laughs> you can't preach Romans chapter 1 the way God has it in the Bible. You can't preach Romans chapter 2 the way God has it in the Bible. And so because we're the new Romans, it hits, it, it hits right at our heart and the spiritual need that we have. It hits us right between the eyes and the heart, and that's why we need it. We need it today more than ever. We need the book of Romans. And so historically, there are some few reminders. And then also, let me remind you that we've studied three key people in the book of Romans up to this point. Number one, we studied Paul. And the Apostle Paul is the inspired human instrument through which God gave us the scriptures of, of, of Romans. And let me remind you that 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, God tells us how he brings scripture to us. 2 Peter 1 and verse 20, if you don't know this principle, this is a good principle for you to get down. This morning's really Bible study. You guys okay with that? It, 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 this is, we're getting down in the weeds a little bit. Verse 20 says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So we can't just privately interpret the Bible. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake or wrote. They spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And again, because we've kind of been brainwashed and blinded by secular reasoning and humanistic thought as it relates to God's Word, we sometimes sit back and think, well, the way God did it was God just somehow superimposed himself through his Holy Spirit on a man, and he sat down and he began writing out these epistles, and then they got put in a Bible. That's not what God says happened. God says that holy men of God first spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's how the initial process of getting Scripture came, and God used Paul for that. Paul spoke God's Word. You say, well, how did we get the epistle of, of Romans? Did Paul write it? The answer is no, Paul didn't write it, which leads us to the second point. We, we learned about a man named Tertius, who is the scribe who put the pen to the parchment. He's the one that put the pen to the parchment, a man named Tertius. Look at Romans 16 and verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, saluteth you in the Lord. And listen, again, man, I know that we're doing some stuff this morning that's not normal or typical for a Sunday morning. But can I just tell you that the reason that this is an important principle is that Paul never put his pen to the parchment as it relates to the book of Romans. Tertius did. And if only the original autographs and only the original language by the original author or authoritative scriptures for us, we got a really big problem because Paul never touched it. Paul never touched the parchment. He was inspired by the Spirit of God. He spoke God's word. Someone caught those words out of the air and inscribed them from pen to parchment. And that's why this idea of original manuscripts only as being authoritative is not biblically correct. Because Paul himself didn't put his pen to the parchment in the most important book for our salvation in the Word of God. You guys okay with that? I mean, that's what the Bible says. And, and so, 
holy men of God spake, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, God uses inspiration. God uses preservation. You can trust the Bible that you have in your hand today as authoritative. You don't need to learn Hebrew and Greek to understand the Bible. You don't need to find the original copy of, of Romans. You won't find it. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. When, when Paul wrote to Timothy and he said that from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures that are make, able to make thee wise unto salvation, Timothy did not have the originals. Timothy had copies of copies of copies. And guess what? Paul called them the Holy Scriptures. The copies were Holy Scriptures, and they were authoritative, and they were able to accomplish what God intended in Timothy's life. And then number three, we learned about a key person named Phoebe. And from the book of Romans, Phoebe is the messenger or the carrier of this epistle to the city of Rome. And, and, and again, in your Bible, if you were to actually flip over to Romans chapter 16, in, in some of your Bibles, you're going to have a little postscript after chapter 16, and it's going to say something like this, written to the Romans from Corinthus and sent by Phoebe, the servant of the church at Centuria. And so, and so she is the, the messenger, and, and we, we, man, that was a really good message. I, I usually don't say that about my own sermons, but... But when we talked about Phoebe a year and a half ago, we said that Phoebe is a lot like us. She, she's a woman who took the inscripturated Word of God to its intended audience. And, and can I just tell you that we as the bride of Christ, we as the church of Jesus Christ, we, we that are espoused to our husbandmen, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to carry God's Word his inscripturated word, to a very intended audience, a Gentile world that needs to know the gospel, that needs to know the doctrine of salvation as it stands in the book of Romans so that they can be saved. And so those are the three key people that, that we talked about. And, and then we said that there were three key divisions in the book of Romans. And, it, and if you wanted a, a general outline of the book of Romans, here's how it breaks down. Number one, uh, the book of Romans, the first a uh, third of it deals with the topic of salvation in chapters 1 through 8. It deals with the topic of salvation. And, and it goes through the explanation of sin and how the Gentile world is guilty because we're all sinners. And it also talks about the Jewish world is guilty, Romans chapter 2, because they are sinners as well. <laughs> and ultimately, Romans 3 concludes that the whole world is guilty because of sin. Because of sin. We've all been affected. We've all been infected and because of our sin, we need salvation. We need, we need redemption in Christ. We, we need our sin to be dealt with. And, and the only way that happens is through the person of Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 3, we talk about justification. In Romans chapter 4, we see Abraham as a picture of justification. And in Romans chapter 5, we see Adam as a picture of justification. Because we all need salvation. And then, and then in those early, verse, early chapters in Romans, we also see sanctifi sanctification. Once we get saved, we need to be set apart for God's purposes, for God's use. I mean, that's the point. Once you got saved, God gave you victory over your flesh. You need to walk in that victory. Doesn't mean you won't ever sin. Doesn't mean you won't still have lusts and things to deal with. But you are victorious in Christ. And then, and then we talked about the liberty that we have in Romans chapter 7 and the security that we have in Romans chapter 8. 
That all deals with salvation. And then secondly, the second main topic is sovereignty, God's sovereignty. And that's Romans 9 through 11. And very clearly, each of those chapters deal with the nation of Israel. Because God tells you that. And so it is interesting to me that right in the middle of the most important book on the doctrine of salvation to the Gentile world, God takes three chapters, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11, and he deals with Israel's past, he deals with Israel's present, as we'll see in, in, in just a few minutes, and he also deals with Israel's future. Because God has a purpose for the Gentile world, but God also still has a purpose and a plan for the nation of Israel. The church has not replaced the nation of Israel. We, we, we do not believe that the nation of Israel is off of God's agenda, off of God's calendar. As a matter of fact, biblically speaking, he has some very strong things to say about the nation of Israel and their restoration and ultimately their salvation, nationally speaking. And so we get that from Romans chapter 9 through 11. And then lastly, we see service as being the main focus of the last several chapters of the book of Romans, Romans 12 down to Romans 15. And the reason God does that, and the reason that I think as you study Pauline epistles, all the doctrine comes at the beginning, all the application comes at the end. Because in other words, if you know all the right doctrine and you don't do anything with it, it doesn't really help you. If it, never, if it never transitions from your head to your heart and then to a changed and transformed life, what good is it? It helps us, man. We, we have to learn to walk in these truths. And, and by the grace of God, if we ever get to Romans chapter 12, next year, that'll be next year. All right, so 2021, we'll get like, you know, chapters 10 and 11. We'll get to 20, chapter 12 and 2022. Stick around. The funny thing is, and, and, and you know, it is interesting, again, and, and I, some of you that are newer, you're walking in thinking, man, whew, this is a lot of information. Well, we, we spent about 35 weeks in the book of Romans already, and so I'm trying to get our, our, our crew just caught back up to speed. Here's the key question we need to ask. Why right in the middle of the most important book in your Bible concerning the doctrine of salvation would God want to clear off three chapters to focus on the nation of Israel? Why? Why, why does God do that? Why, this first foundational church epistle, why does God clear off the slate and deal with the nation of Israel? And, and here's what you need to know, and, and maybe if you're not familiar or not a student of the Bible yet, uh, we want to give you a key this morning that will help you. Here's the key, because Israel is the key nation of all nations in the Word of God. It, it's the key nation of all nations, and the statement is very specific, in the Word of God. Because, again, we would walk in this morning and say, well, the United States is the key nation in the world. We are the world power. And as much as we kind of got going on and things are flaking out a little bit, we're still, the, we're still kind of the greatest power in the world. Well, maybe, but can I just tell you in the Word of God, it's the nation of Israel. It's always been the nation of Israel. It will always be the nation of Israel. God tells us in Isaiah 43 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now thus saith the Lord God that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art whose? Thou art mine. I mean, the Lord himself created this nation, formed 
this nation specifically and calls this nation his. Isaiah 43 and verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Deuteronomy 7, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. That's strong language. And sometimes we, we are so nationalistic and, and patriotic. and I'm, I'm for all of that, man, by the way. But I'm also for the Bible. And what God says about this nation is so unique and different than any other nation. Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the fewest of all people. You ever looked at a map? <laughs> Even today, have you looked at the nation of Israel in relation to every other country and nation on this planet? Are you kidding me? Because the Lord loved you and because he would keep an oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. He redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So here's the point. If you're ever going to get your Bible put together properly, and if you're ever going to consider yourself truly a Bible believer, then you've got to get what God says about this nation right. You've got to get what God says about this nation right. As a matter of fact... God has some very strong warnings about getting Israel wrong in the Word of God. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, man, this is fantastic, but get to the point. This is the point as it relates to Romans 9, 10, and 11. This is the point. As a matter of fact, God has some strong... Because, because in our culture of Christianity, it's easy to dismiss what God has said about Israel. It's easy to assume that we as the church have replaced the nation of Israel. It's easy for us to spiritualize instead of just receiving literally what God says from his word. We like to make it allegorical. We like to make it spiritual when God says, I'll tell you when it's allegorical and spiritual. Otherwise, it's literal. I mean, who are we to tell God what he means, by the way? I mean, you don't like anybody taking you out of context or twisting your words. Yeah, I heard, what, I heard what Cody said, but what he really meant was, oh, man, if Cody heard that, he would go punch that guy. I mean, I mean, he wouldn't punch him. He might kick him, though. I mean, nobody likes that. And no, can I just tell you, God doesn't like that. Well, here's what God said, but what he really means is, uh, what, he really means is what he said. Romans 11 and verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And, and we'll get to Romans 11 in a few short months, and, and we'll expound completely what that verse means. But I want you to know that, that Paul gives a strong warning that if you're ignorant of a mystery concerning the nation of Israel and their blindness to God and to the gospel, if you're ignorant of their blindness that has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, well, the Bible says you're wise in your own conceit. You don't want to be ignorant of something that God has clearly said. You don't want to be wise in your own conceit. In other words, in your own wisdom, and your, in your conceited pride, in your vain imagination, you don't want to think so highly of yourself that you miss what God has said. 
about you and about others. Proverbs 26 and verse 12 says this, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him. And so God warns us, if we're not careful, if we're ignorant of of what the Word of God says about this nation and, and the promises of this nation, if we spiritualize it and take what's intended for them to us and we steal what God has really said for that particular nation and that group of people, can I just tell you, we're wise in our own conceit. Or maybe we're just ignorant, we don't know, and and we need to learn. The Bible warns us in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9, the Apostle John, uh, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says this, I know thy works, And, and by the way, this is also Jesus, so you got John bringing us the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is Jesus speaking to the churches. He said in verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are what? That say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. And I, I don't want to be crude this morning. But to say that all the promises that God gave to the nation of Israel now spiritually apply to the church and to replace Israel with the church and to to boot them out of God's clear written word of what God intends for that nation, God says that's blasphemy. God also says it's satanic. I didn't say it. God said it. He said, you know what, there, there are some people that don't get their Bible right. They're ignorant of what God has said. They, they don't know how to put it together properly. They, they ignore the clear revelation of God. And God says, you know what, there, there are a people group, a nation that I'm not done with. Right now they're blind, but they're going to come to full restoration. And they're going to be his people. And he, they're going to get that land that he promised. You say, I don't agree with that. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. It's going to happen. And all the kingdom promises that God gave them in the Old Testament through those covenants, through those those kingdoms, they're going to come to pass. And God says it's blasphemous for people to say that they are Jews and are not. Revelation 3 and verse 9, Behold, I make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do what? God says these people are liars. Behold, I make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. God says they're liars. God says they're blasphemers. God says they're of the synagogue of Satan. And here's the point, and let's move on so we can get to the, the point. The, the, but this is the point. But then we've got to move from this point to get to the point. Here's the point. When you lose Israel in your Bible, you lose your bearing on Bible doctrine. When you lose Israel in your Bible, you lose your bearing on Bible doctrine. Wait a minute, Jay. I thought the Bible was about me and my salvation. Spoiler alert. As wonderful as that is, ain't about us. And truly, it's not even about Israel. Cody said it earlier. It's about God. And so God sets the rules, God sets the parameters, God sets his kingdom purposes in in movement, and he has some strong things to say. And I don't have it on the screen, but if if you'll just jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32, God tells you that there's more than one audience in the Bible. 
There's more than one people group that God deals with. He's, and the point is, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32 says this, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And in that verse, listen, I want you to understand, and again, you, you need to go through discipleship, and you need to come on Wednesday nights for ministry tools and training, because Jews are the nation of Israel. Gentiles are everyone else. And the church is someone that's Jew or Gentile that are saved in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's the way God looks at humanity. That's the way God looks at nations. That's the way God looks at individuals. Jew, Gentile, church. What about, listen, are they Jew? Are they Gentile? Are they the church? And if you understand that principle, you can really begin to put your Bible together because all of the Bible is for you but not all the Bible is written directly to you. And if you have to spiritualize the Bible to make it fit into your life, instead of receiving it literally the way God intended, you're trying to force a square peg into a round hole, and it's not made to fit. And by the way, if you force it to fit, you're going to have to shave off some material to get it to fit. You're going to corrupt the Word of God in order to make it fit into an opening that God never intended. What you believe about the Bible determines what you believe about government. Did you know that? What you believe about the Bible dictates how you vote. I'm not telling you how to vote. I don't care how you vote. But I'm telling you, if you believe the Bible, it's going to have an influence on, on the way you view politics. Let me also tell you something. If you really believe the Bible, you also know that the kingdoms of this world are under the control of the devil. Matthew chapter 4. And you know that, that, man, as patriotic as we can be and we should be, listen, we live in the greatest country uh, that we've had the opportunity to live in. And we have a, a ton of freedoms that we can, we can experience. Can I tell you, God put us here to have those freedoms to get the gospel to the world. And maybe the reason that we're not seeing those freedoms endure and maybe we're seeing the crumbling of those things is because we had not got serious about the gospel. And so maybe God's going to allow some persecution to come in this country so that we'll get serious about what God said. Getting the gospel to the world. Man, this is all review. How did, how did, man, how, what you believe about the Bible determines what you believe about politics. Uh, by, by the way, what you believe about the Bible affects your daily decisions. It, it, it determines how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your life, what you really believe about God's Word. Okay, so let's get practical. Romans, did I tell you to turn to Romans 10? It was like 30 minutes ago. You had 30 minutes to get to Romans 10, all right? <laughs> if you didn't use the book of index at this point, now is a good time. Find the book of Romans. You got the four Gospels, you got the book of Acts, you got the book of Romans, chapter 10. So, so next week, we're going to get back into our expositional study of, of Romans, but this morning, in the last 10 minutes, can I just give you some practical application? I gave you a lot of stuff to chew on. This week, you're going to have to spend some time studying that. Romans chapter 10. Remember, Romans 9, 10, and 11. God deals with the nation of Israel. Israel's past, Israel's present, Israel's future. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren... My heart's desire and prayer to God for who? For is, any question that that's who he's talking about in, in Romans chapter 10. And again, we, we use a ton of verses from this to preach the gospel, as we should. 
But the emphasis is, Paul is dealing with Israel's present rejection of the gospel. My, prayer, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? Okay, let me give you two points real quick. Number one, Paul had a desire for the nation of Israel. He had a desire for the nation of Israel. Listen, he had a desire for his people. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, listen, his calling by God Almighty was to be the apostle to the Gentiles, those that were non-Jewish, those that had not had the, the Mosaic law, the, the covenants, the tradition, the, the Levitical sacrifices. God's calling on Paul's life was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And yet, Paul never lost his burden for his people. He never lost his burden for his people. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 9, Paul even said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are who? Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving law. And, and by the way, that's Romans chapter 9. And he's pouring out his heart saying, I know it's not possible, but if it was possible, I wish I could be accursed for my brethren's sake. Paul had a desire for the nation of Israel, for the Jews, to come to Christ. And what we're going to see in Romans chapter 10 is that they rejected Christ because they wanted to be righteous in the Old Testament law. But Christ is the end of the law. It's the end of the law. And yet they rejected that, right? Paul had a burden. Second Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10. Look at what, what Paul says. He says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. And, and many times in your Bible, not in every instance, but many, many times, the elect in your Bible is not a group of people that God predetermined before the foundation of the world to be saved. The elect are the nation of Israel. Because he tells you, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. He's talking about Israel. If the elect are those that are predestined to be saved in Christ Jesus, why is Paul enduring all things that they might obtain salvation if they've already been predetermined to get it? Doesn't make sense. Because it's not biblical. Paul's burden, his desire was for the nation of Israel. Let me ask you a question. Here's a key question for all of us. To what or whom do we truly have a desire for? And, and let's, don't, let's don't answer out loud just yet. Because now we're going to go from teaching to preaching, right? What do we truly have a desire for? Well, I can tell you that what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on, what you spend your attention on, your, your mental capacity, what you pray for, those are the things that you have a desire for. Now, Paul's desire in, in Romans chapter 10 was very specific. It was for the nation of Israel, but it was so that the nation of Israel would be what? Would be saved. And, and we don't have the time, but I've got a ton of references. You know, if you go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, don't turn there. Solomon, the greatest wisest man outside of the Lord Jesus Christ to ever walk this planet. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you ever read that? It's kind of like a madman, you know, a madman's ramblings. Here's the wisest man that ever lived, but because he pursued every desire of his heart, he kind of got messed up. 
you, you read Ecclesiastes and it's like, bro, man, what are you tripping on? I mean, you know, that's probably in the Hebrew somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. But when you read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, man, Solomon just talks about, here, here's what I said in my heart. Uh, go to now. I'm going to live for the moment. I'll prove thee with myrrh. I will enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad. And of myrrh, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what good was the sons of men that they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. By the way, pay attention to the words I in me in this passage. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees and them all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water. I put the swimming pool in. Uh, the water wherein the wood bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and servants born into my house. I had great possessions. Small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I got silver and gold and, and peculiar treasures of kings and of providences. I got me men singers and women singers and delights of the sons of men and musical instruments and all sorts. And I was great and I increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept them not. I withheld not my heart from any joy. My heart rejoiced in all my labor, for this was the portion of all my labor. And that sounds a lot like the American dream, doesn't it? Get all you can and then sit on the can. <laughs> Wait a minute, that didn't come out right. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, Solomon just kind of described really what our desire looks like. Let's just be honest. That's what our desire looks like. Can I give you the conclusion? Verse 11. Solomon said, then I looked on all the works that my hand had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of the spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. The wisest man to ever live who pursued everything that he could pursue with his heart, with his mind, with his soul. At the end of the day, said, you know what? Under the sun, there's no profit in any of this. Paul had a little bit different perspective. Paul's desire wasn't for himself, it was for other people. And Paul's desire for other people was that they would come to know Christ. That, that was his desire. I mean, listen, that, that ought to be our desire. Paul was willing to die for his desire to see Israel saved. I mean, again, we don't have the time, but if you go back to Acts 21, you know, they told him, if you go to Jerusalem, bro, they're going to lock you up. They're going to bind you. They're probably going to kill you. I mean, I'm sure they said bro, because that's how they talked in the first century. But, but they warned him, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered and said, look, why are you weeping and you're breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. His desire was to see the, the Jews come to Christ. And he was willing to give his life for that. What are you willing to give your life for? Most of us give our life for a career, we give it for prosperity, we give it for fame, we give it for renown, we give it for stuff, and we don't have a desire like Paul had to see people come to Christ. Folks, we ain't got much time. 
I'm just telling you, you know, well, they've been saying that for years. Well, I'll tell you this, today we have less time than we had yesterday. And we have less time than we had last year. God help us to have a desire for the lost. Number two, we see Paul's prayer for Israel. And, and, and we'll, we'll kind of just land the plane here, but look, Paul's desire led him to some action. And, and the, the main thing that he, he did with his desire was that he had a right prayer life. Paul's desire led him to pray. And, and listen, when we get serious about what God wants and what God is serious about, we're going to take it to the Lord in prayer. And again, listen, 1 Timothy chapter 2, let me just read the text. When Paul is writing to Timothy, who is his son in the faith, who is a pastor of the church of Ephesus, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And many times we stop reading the verse there. And we know that we should pray for our government officials. And listen, what you need to pray for them is that we can do our business, we can do God's business quietly and peaceably. That's what you need to be praying about the government in this country. Irregardless of who you voted for. I don't care who you voted for. The, the prayer for the child of God in this country is... God, we're praying that the leadership lets us do what God has called us to do quietly and peaceably. Just let us do what we're called to do. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. The point is, our desire for others to be saved should drive us to our knees and pray for them to be saved. Because most of us would say, well, I'm really worried about my neighbor. I'm not sure if they know Christ. I, I'm really worried about my coworker. I'm really worried about a family member. Listen, that desire ought to drive you and I to prayer. We're to be praying. We need to be praying for opportunities to share the gospel. So the next key question is, and, and you don't have the blank because I accidentally chopped it off on the copier, but the key question is, for whom are you praying to be saved? For whom are you praying to be saved? Who is it that God's put on your heart that needs to know Christ? And can I just tell you, when your desire is right, and you desire the things that God desires, you're going to pray about them. And it won't be prayers that just gives you more stuff. If you got a lot of stuff, that's cool, man. Who cares? You got stuff, I got stuff, we all got stuff. Who cares? What God cares about is people coming to Christ. That's what he cares about. That's his desire. Paul's, Paul's desire drove him to prayer. And oh, by the way, if you read Romans 11 and verse 26, and it's not on the screen, but the Bible does say, and so all Israel shall be saved. And we'll get to that again in 2022 when we, when we actually get to, to Romans chapter 11. Colossians 4 and verse 3, last verse. Look at this. Paul again writes, he says, With all praying for us also that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds. Can I just tell you that, that if, if 20, you know, most of us were, are thanking God that 2020 is in the rearview mirror. I told you that it doesn't matter if it's in the rearview because 2021 is ahead of us. And we don't know what that's going to look like. But I do know this. The mission hasn't changed. The gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. And we have a work to do. We have a work to do. We, we are called to take 
the message of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ, just like Phoebe, to a lost and dying world. That's what we're called to do. And so if you're in the room today, and number one, you're not saved, let me encourage you and, and excitingly share with you that you can be saved today from your sin. You know, somebody shared that message with me when I was 21 years old, young man in college, clueless, still clueless, but I was lost <laughs> and clueless. And I, and, I, and I heard clearly for the first time that I was a sinner before God and there wasn't anything I could do to fix my sin, but Jesus Christ paid the price. And if by faith I would believe in his finished work on the cross for my sin, I could be saved. That's the greatest news I ever heard. And I bowed my head at the age of 21 and asked Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. And man, that day God changed my life. God redirected me. God put me on a new path. And he'll do that for you too. He can do that for you too. And so if you're here today and you're not saved, today would be a great day to get saved. If you're watching online, listen, today would be a great day to get saved. Settle the issue of your sin before it's too late. Before it's too late. Number two, listen, if you're saved and in the room, we got work to do. We need to develop, if we don't have already, we need to have a desire, a burden for the lost. Do you remember what it was like being lost? And then understanding what God saved you from? We need to have a desire so much that we did we desire opportunity to share the gospel. We pray for people. We have a, an earnest belief in the power of prayer. Can we do that? I think that's what God wants for us. So let's pray as we dismiss.